All right. So here we are in John chapter 5. Thank you for letting, letting us share a little bit about, about that with you. Uh, John chapter 5, you may be new and not know that we're teaching through John's gospel. And maybe you've been coming around and you don't realize that this year, this entire year, I'm teaching through John's gospel. I'm going to tell him my wife. And because last night we were laying in bed, studying the scriptures as we always do, every night, not really. Uh, But anyway, so we're, we're laying in bed, we're talking about this morning. I was telling her that the passage that I'm teaching today is kind of a hard passage to teach, to be quite honest. It's difficult to think through. And I said, you know, this is, and she said, well, why don't you just, you know, she offered some sort of suggestion, which was brilliant, as it always does. But then she indicated something that made me realize that she did not know I was teaching through John's gospel this year. And I thought to myself, how could you? And then I bring this to our prayer time before the service, and Matt says, we've been teaching through John's gospel the last four weeks. And I said, Matt, we've been teaching through John's gospel since the beginning of January, and so it's like 10 weeks. Like, we're, Okay, so everybody, this year I'm teaching through John's gospel, all right? So anyway, um, we're in John chapter 5, verse 18 through 47, and uh, one reason I teach through books of the Bible, frankly, is because... I understand that, um, that the written word reveals the living word, Jesus. And there's a lot of things that I could say to you or offer to you. I could offer to you three ways to do better at your job or five ways to have a better marriage relationship. And, and sometimes we deal with those in the practical side of things. But what I realize is that for you to enjoy the life that God has called you to and invited you into, for you to understand your part in this grand narrative of what God's doing in the world, you must understand uh, who Jesus is. And the way that we understand who Jesus is is by reading the scriptures. And the way that, that I reveal or teach you who Jesus is and reading the scriptures and give, him the, give you the whole truth is by teaching, just teaching you the Bible in the way that it was laid out. So that's why I do it in case you're wondering, maybe you're new to the church and you wonder how we approach the scripture. That's how we do it. So uh, the main idea this morning for John chapter 5 verse 18 is this. Since Jesus is equal with God, he deserves access and authority. Since Jesus is equal with God, he deserves access and authority. So here we are in verse 18, and uh, Katie did a wonderful job reading the passage. Uh, But there's something going on here in verse 18. Look there in verse 18. It says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, this is a problem. I mean, we love and appreciate Jesus at some level. And for us to see in the passage that there was a group of people wanting to kill him, this is a big deal. Up to this point, uh, Jesus was uh, gaining popularity. He was fairly harmless. There were not a lot of people that were out to get him, but he was doing more and more that was making the religious people very mad. And there's a couple of reasons that people were wanting to kill him. And, and uh, they, are, they are this, and I'm going to tell you now and then, and then kind of conclude and help us draw some application from, from these two ideas. But there are two reasons that people wanted to kill this way of Christ was because he busts through religious systems that emphasize the external and he begins to get at what's inside people's hearts. I mean, it's easy to talk about the external moral behavior, religious activity. But what Jesus is doing is he's, 
He's, he's busting through these religious systems. He's busting through the external so that he can take an inspection, an evaluation of someone's heart, the deepest part of us. That's what we're doing here today. In some ways, by coming today, you've, you've, you've said, at whatever level you can understand, God, I give you access to my heart. The second reason that people want to kill the, this way of Christ is because he claims a place in our heart. He claims authority in our heart. Do not be mistaken about this. Jesus wants to be more than our friend in the sense of, you know, Toby and I are friends. We have coffee occasionally. We share uh, our lives with one another. Uh, but he doesn't have authority in my heart. Don't, you got that? I got my boots on. All right. Jesus wants wants authority in our hearts. He wants access and authority in people's hearts. And so he, this makes people mad. People get mad at him because the only being that deserves access and authority is God. And so ultimately what Jesus is doing is he's claiming to be God. He wants, he wants access and authority and he wants to be God of your life. Um, I had an interesting thing happen to me some years back. I got a phone call from the federal government, and uh, they were calling, wanting to talk to me about somebody that I knew very well. And, uh, and so I said, well, sure. I mean, this is an interesting, right? I mean, I'm like, this is about to get awesome, you know? And, and so this person comes to my office, sits down, closes the door, and he begins to ask me questions about this friend of mine. And what I soon realized in the course of our conversation was that this friend of mine had applied for a job that was going to require the highest level of security clearance, the highest level of access and authority in our country. Pretty awesome, isn't it? And, and so he's asking me these questions, and I've done references before. You know, typically it's like, okay, what's their best character trait? What's their worst character trait? Have you, is there anything you want to tell me that I won't tell them? You know, things like that, which are real basic. And some of you in HR and you deal with those kinds of things. Uh, but the questions he asked were, do you know of any offshore bank accounts that he has access to or has puts money in? I was like, no, but I wish, because that would be really awesome. Or do, you, do, you, do you know if he's been married before and his current wife doesn't know about it? Do you know if he has any dealings in Iraq or Afghanistan or any other place of the world known for terrorism? Do you know if he speaks any other languages than what he's written right here? Do you know? I mean, he was asking me all these questions. And of course, as it's happening, I'm getting a little tension in my own heart because I'm like, Wow. He is going to, if he passes these references, get access and authority that will give him, give him a place and a power in, in, in our country that's really, really unique. And uh, he actually did pass, and he did get the job, moved to Washington, D.C., and I wish I could tell you what he did because he could not tell me. He could not tell his own wife. He had access and authority he had been given some power to do things that not just anybody could do. Well, scale that up to things that actually matter in the next life. And what we, what we see here is that Jesus is claiming this kind of access and authority. He's claiming to, to, to deserve uh, classified information of your life. So in what he's doing here, as Jesus obviously recognizes that people want to kill him, 
is he's going to describe his relationship with the Father. And it's a little tricky to sort through these passages. And so if, if you lose me at any point, just, just hang on and you'll pick back up quickly. But there, there, there's something about Jesus saying, basically, he's equal with God. And you should know that in the Bible, the four people, Pharaoh, Joash, Hiram, and Nebuchadnezzar, that claimed to be God, stood under terrible judgment. So for Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher to claim to be God, it, it is no surprise that people were mad at him about it. But if he is equal with God, that he has every right to, to examine our uh, hearts and to take authority in them. He deserves a place of worship in our heart, right? So that's, that's the argument that we're going to make here. So just a few things he says here. This, in this passage in verse 19 and others, it's separated by this word for in the English language. But anyway, so, so here's, here's what it says in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. So what he's going to begin doing is making an argument for his being, him being like the father. So God the son being like God the father, okay? For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Listen, all that God the son does is what God the father would do. This is really important. In our world, people, most religions, in fact, recognize Jesus as pretty important, as a good moral teacher, as a, as a leader of sorts. Someone even, most reasonable thinking people would see Jesus as a revolutionary. I mean, he's the centerpiece of the book that's the most sold book in all of humanity, all history. So at the very least, no matter your faith, you see Jesus as a revolutionary. But what Jesus is saying is that all that I do is exactly all that the Father would do. This is a big deal. And then he goes on to say that all that God the Son can do is what the Father can do. Now, what can the Father do? He can do anything he wants at whenever he wants to do it. See, when Jewish people during this time heard Jesus claiming to be equal with God, they might have thought that Jesus was claiming a place of, 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 of competition with the Father. Like, here's Jesus Here's God the Son, here's God the Father, and they're, they're equal on the same plane. Or, or maybe Jesus is claiming to be another God that had as much authority as the God of Israel. But what Jesus is actually doing is he's aligning himself and saying that, no, what the Father wants to do and will do, I want to do and I will do. I'm not competing against him. I am so in step with him that he and I are one. There's this relationship with God the Father and God the Son that is so tight and so perfect. I mean, think about this. I mean, uh, raise your hand if you are a father uh, to a son or a daughter. Raise your hand if you're a father to a son or daughter. Yeah, I, I've got uh, four children, and, uh, and it's so fun to teach them. They're, they're at an age 10 um, and, and other ages. And, um, and, and my third child, his name is Price, uh, he, he's just learning how to play baseball. And so uh, I'm teaching him how to play baseball. And so, so I want him to do exactly as I would do when it comes to throwing the ball. I mean, I know how to throw a baseball. So you pick up the ball and you step and you reach back and you can't, you know, don't, don't throw like that, son, because, you know, people start talking about you. You know, you know re reach back and, you know, and, you know, and throw it. Is that right? Okay, thank you. Um, I'm teaching him. So I'm teaching him, and I want him to do it exactly like I 
I'm telling him to do it. Why? Because he doesn't know. He doesn't know what he should do yet, but I'm telling him what to do. And he does it right sometimes. I mean, he does it like his, my son does it like, like his father sometimes, but never does he do it perfect. And one reason we don't do it exactly the same is because we are two different beings, right? We are two, we are two different beings. And no matter how much he wants to be like me or I want him to be like me, uh, we will always do things a little different. As an example, he is left-handed, so he's actually throwing with the other hand. Well, when Jesus says, when the Father wants to do something, I want to do it. And when the Father, what the Father can do, I can do. What he's saying is we do it perfectly. We do the same thing perfectly. That is significant. So it's much closer than my relationship with Christ and as I teach him how to play baseball. Now, um, and, and this is important. Some, some people, critics of Christianity, biblical Christianity, would say that the reason that we, we don't like it is because it's, it's um, tritheistic. You know what that means? Or, or, or ditheistic. It means like you worship three gods. There's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so people say, well, we're, not, we're monotheistic. We worship one God. So Jews, for instance, uh, sincere Jews, one criticism that they might have of Christianity is that it feels like they're saying, we now worship two gods, Jesus and God. But what Jesus is saying here is, no, when you see me, you see the Father. When you worship me, you are worshiping the Father. It's what we understand as Christian monotheism. One God. We're worshiping one God. So the only, the only one who could conceivably do whatever the Father does must be as great as the Father and as divine as the Father. Whew. I mean, that is thick. So you say, well, how is that even possible? How is this relationship even possible? What's well, possible because God the Father perfectly loved God the Son. I mean, I love my son Price deeply. I would, I, would, I would stand in front of a car for him. I love him deeply. And the fathers and parents in the room, you can, you can, or even if you're not a parent, you might be able to feel that kind of a love. But something that you should know is I can't love my son perfectly. I'm imperfect. Our relationship has in, in it um, selfishness and, and impurity and jealousy and pride and fatigue and all of these things. Well, Jesus, as God's son and God the Father, they have a perfect love relationship, which is how we can, when we see Jesus, we see God the Father. Look there in verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will be shown him, that you may marvel. So we must understand this relationship when, between Jesus, God's Son, and God the Father. And in doing so, in, in, in observing and recognizing and enjoying this, this relationship of love, we get to marvel at it. We get to marvel at it. So the son is exegeting or narrating the father. John chapter 1, a passage I taught to start the series, says, No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God, how about Jesus, is near to the father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So when you see Jesus, you see, we see God the son, you see God the father. He's revealed. And our response to this reality that God is flesh in the form of a man, it, it, it is, is that we marvel at it. We're amazed at it. 
And Jesus did some amazing things, right? I mean, think about the passages we've talked about already. Uh, he turns water into wine at the wedding. He, he sees into the past of the woman at the well. He heals the official son from a distance. He, and then there's this man that's been an invalid for 38 years. He does something marvelous there, and we marvel at those things. And when we see the, the marvelous happen like that in the external, I mean, it, it does compel us to take steps of faith, Right? But we will really enjoy Jesus and marvel at God and gladly worship God when we understand that seeing Jesus is seeing God. That's when our faith begins to mature and we begin to really experience the depths of Jesus Christ. Well, we know that God the Father and God the Son work together. And in uh, verse 21 Jesus continues, he says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. So the Bible puts forward this idea uh, that raising from this, raising, the ability to raise somebody from the dead is a prerogative belonging to God alone. Jesus claims the right as God's Son. Now, uh, just so you know, this is a foreshadow, and hopefully this is a little bit of a hook to get you to come back in weeks to come if you're a guest. But in, later in John's gospel, there's a story about Jesus raising this man from the dead. Do you remember his name? Lazarus. And it's interesting, in John's gospel, it takes up quite a few verses. It's a fairly talked about quite a bit. More than a chapter of John's gospel goes to this incident where Jesus finds out that this man is dead. He goes and raises him from the dead. Well, one reason is, is because the prerogative to raise people from the dead belongs to God alone. And so in doing so, Jesus is saying, yes, I am God. If he can raise somebody from the dead, this is significant. And when we begin to learn this, you know what we do? We gladly honor him. He has... The authority, he has access to the authority, and we, we, got, we honor him. So I had jury duty recently. Who's had jury duty recently? Just raise your hand. Uh, one of the things that is, is still, uh, you, said, you didn't look very proud to have jury duty. Um, and they built that new building for us to go and wait in, you know, prior to it. Anyway, um, uh, one thing that's, that strikes me as interesting still, is I'm, if I'm ever in the courtroom, um, is, uh, is the point at which they... They make everybody stand up when the judge comes in. Uh, I mean, in our day, that's, that's different. I mean, just think about it. A human being walks in, everybody stands up to honor him. Why do we do that? Well, because he has authority. He has the authority to, to, to judge based on the laws of the land. He gets honor from us. We honor him by standing up. That's the way we do it. Jesus is to be honored because he has authority. He has the authority to judge according to the law of God. This is why we get to honor him. This is why we get to celebrate him. This is why Matt uh, Parrish and Matt and Cameron and, uh, and Cody, this is why as they lead us in music, we, they choose songs that talk about Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you have ever, maybe you've been to or know about a church that they don't talk much about Jesus, that is a problem because the Bible makes it all about Jesus. Can I get an amen? Marco, where are you at, brother? Amen. Thank you. Amen. 
So Jesus and the Father, God the Son and God the Father are one in activity and honor. And I'm making, remember, I'm making a case for the fact that Jesus deserves access and authority in our hearts. So, so the Jews did have a problem with Jesus, that he was claiming place with God. But uh, Jesus basically says, well, that's the place I deserve. This, this activity by Jesus is, as one theologian describes it, one that required unique and extraordinary courage. He must have known that to say these things was to ask for death. He stood up in this hour when it was so important that people know the truth, knowing that he would be killed for it. It's a claim to be king. And he knew well that anybody listening had two alternatives. The listener had to either accept Jesus as the Son of God or he must hate him as a blasphemer and seek to destroy him. There is maybe no other passage in the entire Bible that separates the people who will love and honor Jesus from the people that will hate him and try to kill him. And as you know, eventually they did kill him. They killed him for this claim. But in the greatest act in all of history, in all of humanity, he, he was raised from the dead as a verification of his claim. This is why we worship him. This is why we'd say if because of the resurrection, we are given a hope that we too will be resurrected into a new life through Christ. Jesus has the authority to judge, and in Christ we will be judged as righteous. But do you know that in our day, people still want to kill Christ, or the way of Christ, for two reasons? Maybe you do. The two reasons being he busts through religious systems that emphasize the external. What's the one reason I love meeting in the YMCA? I was talking yesterday to a young couple that I just met. I'm going to be uh, doing their wedding and uh, they don't have a church. And, uh, and one of the questions that one of the man asked me, he said, so is your church one of those that's all about the rules of uh, religion and is hateful? And I said, well, uh, I, I like to think that we're not. And to tell you a little bit about how we're not like most religious places, we meet in a YMCA. I mean, we won't always meet here, but for now it really works nicely, you know. We meet in a YMCA, <laughs> Jesus busts through religious systems and the religious, uh, what's accepted as religiosity to emphasize and to get at what's in our hearts. This makes people very, very uncomfortable. When you are challenged by someone like me maybe to, to consider your own heart and your response to the claim that Jesus makes that he is God, it might feel uncomfortable. And Jesus not only gets in that place, but he wants to take authority in our hearts. This is the difference between religion and relationship. Do you hear me? Jesus wants to get into our lives and take authority in our hearts. Now, you, the way that you've got to figure this out is you've got to ask yourself the question, what has uh, the place, what, what is sitting on the throne of my heart? What is it? 
And, and even as a Christian, we, we allow things to slip in there that we begin to give our time and our attention and our affection to, and really our worship to. It's a job, a career, money, another person. And what Jesus is saying is, I deserve the place in your heart that gains the greatest honor. I deserve that place. Why? Because I'm equal with God, is what Jesus says. I am God. This is why we would give it to him. If Jesus was not God, we would not give it to him. I mean, yeah, we would listen to some of his moral teaching. We would appreciate what he says about the poor and the marginalized and, and, um, and, and, and how, he, how he elevates and gives a place to like women and to the sick and, and these other things that were really revolutionary in the first century. But we would not let him become Lord of our lives. We would not say, I will go to the ends of the earth for you. But if you understand that Jesus is God, you will say, take the place in my heart where you get the greatest amount of worship. Paul understood this. This is why he said things like, I must decrease so that Jesus can increase. Or, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. When Jesus tries to get access and authority in our lives, it is painful, it is uncomfortable, and it is destructive. It makes us think about how we spend our time and our money and our energy. It makes us think about our religious behavior and whether or not that is actually what Jesus had in mind. You know, and frankly, we kind of live in a time and in a place in the world where people believe that God exists and they understand that he can do miracles and they feel like it's possible to believe that he exists and recognize that he can do miracles without also letting him take the throne of their hearts. We like Jesus as a moral teacher or a miracle worker, but we hate it. I mean, we do. We hate it when he wants to get personal. And some of you have floundered in your Christian faith. I mean, you've got all the religious stuff down. But one reason you floundered is because Jesus has said, I don't just want your, I don't just want your, you to look more religious. I want to gain access to your heart. I want to crush the part in you that thinks that you can do anything good without me. That's the gospel. That's when the gospel grips our heart. We, we too can, can kill the way of Christ. And we do this by denying the truth. Some of you are in here and you've not yet received Jesus as Lord of your life. You, you maybe have very, for the very first time heard that Jesus claimed to be God and then provided verification of that. After he died, he was raised from the dead. And so maybe that's the first time you've heard that. And, and you need to hear today, repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus as Lord. Let him have the place of your heart. We, we kill the way of Christ by denying that truth. Or we kill the way of Christ, and this is harder to figure out, and I tend to do this sometimes, but we twist the truth to make us feel comfortable. We, we twist it just a little bit to make us feel comfortable. And this is what happens when a preacher stands up and, and, and ignores the parts of the Bible that talk about dying to yourself and the suffering that comes as a part of life and that you can find joy in, in Jesus Christ. This is what happens when a preacher stands up and will not talk about sin and repentance. 
We twist the truths because those things are very uncomfortable. That's, that's a way of killing the way of Christ. We, we kill the way of Christ by acknowledging it in our minds, but denying it in our hearts. Do you know what I mean there? Like, yeah, if I were to say to you, do you believe, you would say, yes, I believe. Check this box. Jesus is God. I believe that he deserves the place in my heart. Check this box. I believe that we ought to care for the marginalized, and we ought to share our faith with people, and that this is good news. Check that box. Check that box. Check that box. I believe all that. But for some reason, it's not seeped down into your heart. That's a way of killing the way of Christ. I beg you. I plead with you. Believe in Jesus as God. May we never be the kind of people that kill the way of Christ because this is good news that people need to hear. And frankly, it's the only way, it's the only way that you will experience the kind of just marvelous life that God wants you to experience. It's the only way. How will you respond to this. Let's pray together.